Amen. Revelation chapter number 5. Revelation chapter number 5. All right. I, I don't know. I, I mean, sometimes I put out. Um, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Hear me. It's dangerous when you put notes in your Bible. You typically don't. But I have notes in my Bible tonight, so it might be long. We might have been here till 9 o'clock. But uh, nonetheless, um, I hope you come to get in. And if you didn't, then you're not here for the right reason in the first place. And so, um, but, but I hope you come to get in, amen. And, and I mean, I'll work just as long as you did today, and I'm going to work tomorrow just as long as you do, amen. Uh, but I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us. I know most of you are. I would say all of you are as well. And uh, I know I know how it is to sit under preaching and uh, stuff like that too. And sometimes it can get um, tough. But um, we're going to find our text tonight, and we're going to preach. Okay? I think I preached out of this before. I preached a topical message out of it, um, but tonight's going to be a series message, and so it's going to be different. Um, and um, it's not. It's going to get a lot deeper. Okay, um, this will be the deepest one I've got into so far, and it took some time to get this, but the Lord helped. And tonight I'm going to preach um, with the Lord. I'm not going to say I'm going to preach with the Lord's help, but it's going to take Him, Amen. And so, chapter five of the book of Revelation. We've come to this fifth chapter of the book of the Revelation. And this is a chapter that is a serious key chapter to understanding the rest of the book, okay? This is the pivotal point. From this point forward, things are going to change. From chapter 4 forward, things changed because it went to the things which are, which are to be here after. We understand there was a change in chapter 4 when John appeared into heaven. But we must also remember this just as a little tidbit, is John is not raptured. Everybody catch that? When John is writing this book, he's not raptured out. John, I mean, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9 tells us, and I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He's in the Spirit right now, okay? He's not raptured out. I understand he was called up and said, come up hither, understand all those things. But as he's penning this book, he's in the Spirit. He's a representative of the church. He's not the church, okay? And so we have to understand those things to understand this book. But also, this is a very, very, very key chapter because all the events that take place in chapter 6 and then chapter 7 and chapter 8 when the seals are opened and the things from that point and the seven seals and seven vile judgments and all the judgments that, that Christ displays all pivot off of this chapter. So we have to understand this one to understand the rest of them. Chapter 4, John was called up to heaven and he was in the very throne room of God. And so let's read chapter 5 just to verse number We'll stop when the Lord says stop. The Bible says in chapter 5 and verse 1 of the book of the Revelation, And I saw in the right hand of him, we know him being, uh, using context of scripture, we might not know this if we just read this verse, okay? Uh, it's a lowercase, it's all those things. So we might not know who him is if we just read this one passage. But thank God we read chapter 4. 
So we know who's sitting on the throne here, right? And so it's God himself, and he's sitting on the throne, and it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that set on the throne a book written within and on the backside. It's written on the back, and it's written on the front, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals Thereof, And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And John said, and I wept much. That would put all the songs that says there's no tears in heaven out of the ordinary, wouldn't it? That would put all the preachers that preach that there's not going to be tears in heaven out of the way. Understand me just real quick. Jesus has not wiped away the tears yet. Okay, that happens a whole lot later, okay? That happens in chapter number 21, okay? We're a long ways from that moment when Christ wiped away all the tears from their eyes. But we also have to understand that John was still in the Spirit. He was not in heaven. Okay, well, he was in the Spirit. But understand what I'm trying to say here. And I wept much because no man, no man, not one person, this has to do with man was worthy to open and to read the book, neither to even look upon it. We couldn't even look there upon it. And so, and, and one of the elders said, so as John's sitting over there weeping, and one of the elders said unto him, Weep not, behold. Buster Seaton said, that means looky, looky. Hey, look, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of... David. It's because the root of the da- root of David that we're grafted in. Okay, and so we we went through that just a little bit, and that song says that I am a royal descendant, and this verse down here in verse ten says, and hath made us unto our God kings and priests. I'm a royal descendant. Amen. Aren't you glad about that? And have prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, he said, I looked. And lo, in the midst of the throne, he's still in the middle of the throne. He's in the middle of these things. We understand that he was standing in Stephen's day and he was looking. And then in Hebrews, he's sitting and he's beside God. He's on the right hand of God. Isn't that right? So we're getting scripture, midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst, we went through the four beasts last week, the midst of the elders stood a lion. It was a lamb. It was a capital lamb. It was a lamb. Not just any lamb, but it was a lamb as it had been slain. Having seven horns... Now the horns we understand represent different things and, and it was he was slain, okay? That speaks of his sacrifice. Horns all the way back to the altar in the Old Testament, the tabernacle days represent strength uh, and it's strength. Uh, that he's, it's displaying his strength. And he says he has seven eyes. And he has seven eyes. And that, that, that means he has sight. That means he has, he's smart. That means he sees all things. It, it talks of his omnipotence and his omniscience and, and, and his omnipresence all in one scene. And are, which are the seven spirits of God. 
So we can look back at Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 and find the seven spirits of God and find all of those seven attributes, seven spirits, seven things of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. I wanted to preach on this thought. He came and took the book. Because if he wouldn't have came and took the book, we'd have been in terror. But he took the book. Amen. He's the only one worthy to take the book. Amen. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the 20 elders go back into worship him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love you. We thank you for all that you do. We ask you, God, to help tonight. We need your help. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for all that you do. Thank you, Lord, for taking the book. We ask you, dear God, in the name of Jesus, to just help us. In Jesus' name, help each individual. Amen. So we look back at chapter 4, and John was standing in the very throne room of God. That's a place where the 24 elders was. That's the place where the four beasts were. But it's also the place that it didn't say that they changed places. We're still in the very throne room of God, right? Just in chapter 4, it's set out as a courtroom. Uh, Now it's set out as something a little different. There's things that's getting ready to take place here that are prominent to the rest of the whole Bible. And so he's standing in chapter 4 in the very throne room of God and the scene there is excellent uh, and everything he sees is just excellent and he's seen the one uh, that was sitting on the throne uh, and he's seen him in that time. And by the way, chapter uh, 4 and verse 2 tells us, and I was in the spirit. And so that's another thing we need to catch hold of. Uh, but he said there was a throne set in heaven, one set on the throne. He, 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 he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. Uh, and we went through all those things and there was a rainbow round about the throne. The first rainbow said that God would never flood the earth again. It was a promise. It was a promise also which I did not add. Last week, but it was also another thing that we can think about is that there was a promise given to all the beasts in that day that said that he would never flood the earth again. Right? And then the beasts are there and he's telling them again, hey, I'm not going to flood the earth. There's something about the earth here. So just hang tight. But he said, so, so the scene there, the scene as we see it uh, there in chapter number uh, four, in chapter number four, it's a, it, the scene is very excellent. <coughs> and then we read on a little farther and find where they're worshiping the Lord and they're bowing down before him. And so I would say that the shouts, the shouts, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And the sovereignty, the sovereignty there is exalted. He's lifted up because why? It's all about Him. It's nothing about the ones around the throne. It's not about the ones that are kneeling before the throne. But it's all about the one that's on the throne. All through the book of Revelation, it's all about the one that's on the throne. In chapter 19, there's a great white throne. And there's one that sits on the throne. And guess what? It don't talk about the great white throne, but one verse. But guess who it does talk about? It talks about the one that's on the throne. It's all about Him. 
Amen. And so, so then, as we come to chapter 5, uh, um, the, 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 the sights and the sovereignty uh, hasn't changed at all. He's still the same uh, in chapter number 5. He's still sitting on the throne, uh, and the sights are still excellent. Uh, as we see there, there's many sights, but however, the shouting has now turned uh, to searching and sorrow. Why? One unknown writer said this, The little book, the little seven-sealed book in the hand of the one on the throne contains the secret of the chapters which follow and is the key which opens the entire book of the Revelation. As I read this over and over and over and I, and I studied and I, and I come to the conclusion that this definitely is true. It is the middle. It's, it, it's not the middle, but it is the part that matters and all of it matters, but it's the part that everything pivots on that if we make one mistake, you don't think I feel nervous right now. But if we make one mistake in the context of the scripture here, uh, we'll mess you up the rest of the way. So I, I, I do not take it lightly to preach on such an important passage of scripture, but I need you to pay close attention too. And I know you will, but I'm just saying, I, I will preach this thought with the Lord tonight straight out of the text in verse 2 where the Bible says, Who is worthy? To open the book. I just put a question mark after it. Who is worthy to open the book? In chapter 4 it also says. Well in chapter, I mean verse number. Let's see verse number. So one of the other verses it says who is worthy to open the book. But who is worthy to open the book? Now you think about that thought. Who is worthy to open the book? We know it was Jesus. He's worthy right? But we need, to hit, we need to break some verses down to get some context, okay? So number one, I want you to notice tonight there's the book sealed. The book sealed. So as this chapter begins, God is sitting on the throne and He's said to be holding a book. He's said to be holding a book. Now many have said that this book would have been a scroll, it wouldn't have been a book. And that's fine, that's fine, and I'm going to preach it that way most likely because of the context here. I believe it's probably a scroll too, okay, because it has two sides to it. And it's written on both sides, studying history, studying those things. I believe it's probably a scroll. But, but there is reason, uh, uh, and the, but one other thing that we can take from it is there's seals with it. You don't seal books, okay. You don't seal books, but you seal scrolls okay and so just thinking about that and in the Roman era of those days contracts deeds uh, wills all of those things were written on a scroll and they would simply seal them with seven seals you may not understand what a seal is but well I'll make you understand that we we know seven being the number of completion right perfection completion <coughs> nonetheless it's done number seven they say that these scrolls could be anywhere from 20 up to 30 foot long. That's the size of this building. 
And so, so, so it, it, it's big, and, and the rolled up, and the page would be written upon, it would be rolled up, and it would be signed in front of at least one witness, uh, and uh, it would be sealed with either clay or wax, okay? And that means it's just a little seal. Some people still seal envelopes today. And so they, there would be a seal on those, and then, and so on, and so on, and however, however many, there would be obviously seven of them, and, and the Seven of them would be there and they would roll up one and they would seal it and sign it and, and fold it, roll it up. And then the next one they would roll up and seal it and sign it and so on seven times. You get where I'm going there. And so we will, as the scroll would be unfolded, each seal would have to be unbroken broken at each section. And so we'll watch this take place, take place in the next few chapters as Christ breaks open the seals. But we're not there yet. We'll watch it take place though. But three witnesses were required to open the seals in those days. Three witnesses. That's ironic to me. I just thought about that. Or that isn't that ironic? Who, who is three persons in one? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Man, he has the ability on himself to open it. He's worthy, amen. And he's worthy, and we know the last, I understand. But he's worthy in one, but three witnesses had to be present to open it. I believe this scroll had some specific meaning to it. And I want you to notice that number one, the book, the book, the book, and uh, its type. The book and its type. So, so as we read these verses, what type of book is this? Uh, what is this book concerning? What, what is it? What is it? First, uh, I believe it has something to do with man. Right? Mentioned that earlier. Second, it has something to do with the earth. In Revelation chapter 6, the first scroll, second scroll is open. Uh, and as they are open, the seals of this scroll began to be open. And the contents or what's on the inside of the scrolls are read. And when they are read, they reveal what will be happening on this earth during the tribulation period. There will be judgment. And so, so as it is, and then, and then, then thirdly, it seems that this scroll has something, in, uh, and, and going back to scholars and all that, it seems this scroll has something to do with redemption. Now, now, now you say, well, we didn't read that, but, but we cannot conclude there. We can't just conclude there that we understand that the saints afterwards and the 24 elders and the four beasts, they start worshiping, well, excuse me, the 24 elders start worshiping the Lord over redemption. I mean, we could go down and read it right there, but we're not going to. But we, worthy is a lamb that has power to receive. And so, so, so we can read that he has, he has redeemed something and they are worshiping him for redemption. But we can't conclude there because that just doesn't give us enough biblical evidence. We, we just cannot conclude just there because they sing about other things too. They sing of His power. They sing of His glory. They sing of all those things. So we can't just conclude at that part. But, but it seems to have something to do with this. When Jesus uh, takes this book, He is praised for His redemption work. Many Bible scholars have come to the conclusion that this book deals with redemption. And so I believe to understand redemption, 
we need to look back in the Old Testament. To understand what redemption is, and I do want you to know there, the, the word redeemed means to buy out. It means to buy, I mean, that ought to make us all shout for It means to buy out because he bought us with a price. I mean, I'm just telling you, under the, under the Old Testament law, under the Old Testament law, there are three things that could be redeemed. Not going to read the verses. But there's three things, I'll tell you the verses and you can read them, but there's three things that could be redeemed under the Old Testament law. The first thing that could be redeemed, according to Leviticus chapter number 25, verse 47 through 55, the first thing that could be redeemed is a servant. A servant could be redeemed. A man could sell himself into servitude. If he had no money, he could sell himself as a servant. However, however, a near relative of him could buy him out from his servitude. From being a servant, could buy him out. And so that that person, that person that bought him out would then be called the kinsman redeemer. It's a a kinsman thing. Somebody had to be, I mean we can see it throughout the Bible where people bought somebody out. And then, then not only could a servant be redeemed in the Old Testament, but also a wife could be redeemed. We can partially look at this, partially We cannot implant this all the way, but partially we can look at this in the life of Gomer and Hosea. Partially. But what would happen if a woman was left as a widow, that's where Gomer doesn't fall in the scene. She just left. But, but if her wife left, as, uh, if a wife, uh, if her husband died and, and he, she was a widow uh, um, with no male children, a close relative or close kinsman uh, of her dead husband could redeem her and her husband's inheritance by paying a redemption price. Where we can clearly see that at is in the book of Ruth. You look through the book of Ruth and you'll find that, but, but, but the scripture to that under the law is in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 through 10. <coughs> but, but this is seen in the book of Ruth. And Boaz paid the price to redeem Ruth and her dead husband's inheritance. So a wife could be redeemed. And another thing, last thing that could be redeemed is land. Land could be redeemed according to Scripture. If a man lost his land, a near relative could buy it back, redeem it, and in that he would keep it in the family. That was the purpose. Leviticus 25, 25. And I believe overall this is shown in Jeremiah chapter number 32. It happens in Jeremiah. Everybody with me, right? It happens in Jeremiah chapter 32. I'm just going to oversight it. I'm not even going to turn back for you. But Jeremiah's uncle has lost a piece of land. 
he's lost a piece of land, uh, and um, Jeremiah's cousin, uh, Haniel, I think is something along how you're supposed to say it, comes to Jeremiah and asks him, uh, and Jeremiah's in prison, and he asks Jeremiah to buy back the property that his father lost. Verse number 8, I think. Ask him to buy back the property. And Jeremiah does this and he records it in a scroll and he seals the scroll. And so in that time, and so he does all of that transaction and puts it in a scroll and he seals it up in verse number 10. And from what I have read, they would record the information related on the redemption, on redemption on both sides of the scroll. Both sides. It's getting interesting. Now on the inside they would write the reason the land was forfeited. Was, was why they lost the land. And on the outside they would write the terms of the redemption. What could take place? What could take place? In that and apparently they kept two copies of this transaction and one was open to the public for all to read and another copy was kept sealed up. Verse number 10 and verse number 11 of Jeremiah 32. I've read it. You can read it yourself. But these scrolls were laid up in the temple and in earth, they, would put, they would be put in earthen jars for safekeeping. Man, I, this is just so deep. I have, to, I have to go in the rate I'm going. Verse 14 is where it tells you that. They were kept in an earthen jar and Jeremiah serves the function there of a kinsman redeemer for the property that belonged to his uncle. You remember how I told you before we even started preaching tonight that we lost something on the fall of Adam. What's the first thing that happened after? We understand snakes began to crawl, not crawl. They began to slither rather than crawl. We understand that briars came. We, I, I always thank Adam. Man, I was out there sweating today and I said, thank you, Adam. Man. Thank you. And Because simply the fact is is that the sweat of the brow came from that fall. Briars came from that fall. Thorns and thistles, the Bible says. Plowing came from that thought. But there's many things that came from that fall. But Jeremiah serves the function of, the, of his uncle so uh, redeeming that property. So I believe what we're witnessing here in Revelation chapter number 5 is the heavenly version of what men did in the Old Testament times under the law. And, and, and if you'll notice, the book God holds in verse number 2 has two sides, right? I mean, it has two sides, and it's written on both sides, written within and on the back side. Verse number 1, actually. So it's written up, and it's sealed exactly like a deed. Is sealed. Right? We understand. We've used Bible. We have not used no commentary. We've used Bible to interpret Bible. It's written on both sides, and the only thing that you can find in Scripture that's written on both sides is a deed for property. Right? You look it up. You'll, I promise you, I've searched Scripture high and low. And it's written on both sides as Jeremiah tells about it. 
So I believe that's the book, and that's the type of book we're talking about. A deed, if you will. Is everybody all right? I know, I know what time it is. 8.30, by the way, just so you don't have to look. And secondly, I want you to know, I, I, not only the book and its type, but the book and its topic. I'm going to speed up in a second. I, I believe I've come to the conclusion that the book that we see here is the title deed to the earth. And I understand Christ already owns the earth and you have to also understand that when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, sin entered into the universe then. And man fell that day and God's creation came under a tragic curse and, and we'll never know the full extent of what which sin has ruined creation. But we do know that when Adam fell, creation fell too. Here's the problem though. When God made man and placed him in the Garden of Eden, God gave man dominion over all the earth. Right? Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28. He gave dominion over all the earth. And when man fell, he gave his dominion over to Satan to become the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He gave, freely gave his will over to Satan in that time when God sent Jesus to redeem mankind on the cross. The blood of Jesus redeemed fallen sinners. But it was and is also sufficient to break the bondage of sin over all of creation too. How now, now I'm getting ahead, but you tell me how in the in the millennium reign uh, after Jesus comes down uh, and slews them all as he as the, the horses briders are filled uh, as he does that with blood, uh, you tell me why the lamb and the lion are laying together. Because the creation has been redeemed. And so there's many different things that we can look at. When, when, when God said that, it was enough. But understand me here, every realm which came under the curse of Adam's sin must be delivered by the redemption of the second Adam. Romans tells us of a second Adam. And Adam types, Adam types Christ in his love for his bride by freely becoming sin for her because he loved her. Right? And so, so I tell you is that the second Adam bought back everything that the first Adam lost. Hallelujah. So I believe this book in the hand of God is written within uh, and it's written without. Uh, and on the inside uh, is the tragic story of sin, uh, tragedy, death, failure, uh, and defeat. And on the outside are the terms of redemption for that. Yeah. Amen. Amen, friend. And if we could read these terms, we'd find that the Redeemer must be one who is willing to redeem and one who is worthy. To redeem. He had to be a kinsman. Amen, friend. Hallelujah. There's a book sealed. Secondly, there's a burdensome search. 
There's a bird in some search. We read in verse 2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? And you go, We have now seen a little information regarding the type and the topic of the book and that John saw in the hand of God. And for the next few verses, this scroll, this book, is front and center in heaven. It's an important book. And a search is being made. On who is worthy to open it? Who is worthy enough to open the book and to break the seals and to read the book? And who is? Who is? So notice number one, the demands of this search. It says, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? There's one word in there that says that there are demands with this. Worthy. Right? tells me there's a demand with it. The person has to be worthy. There has to be one worthy. And notice that the angel did not say uh, who is willing to open the book. But he says who is worthy to open this book. I tell you, there have been many men down the ages um, that were more than willing, that were more than willing, but none of them were worthy to rule and reign. And to rule and have a a total dominion over everything and have control of it. But there is one who's worthy. But but I tell you that there's many who are willing. We can look back in history and find there were many who were willing to have dominion over the earth. Alexander the Great conquered the world, known world, in such a short time. And by the age he was 33, conquered the whole world. And he wept, not because he didn't conquer the whole world, but because there was no more world to conquer. That's history. He wept because of that. And we can look at that. And then before him, Nebuchadnezzar saw himself as the greatest there was, the greatest ruler ever. And he come through Babylon. And he had all the things that he needed. And he wanted to rule everything. But he was not worthy to take dominion. Julius Caesar, Adolf Hitler, all of those wicked men wanted to rule and reign over all the earth. They were more than willing to have dominion over the earth, but not one of them were worthy. Now one of them were worthy to and soon we'll see in our study that there will be one that will come closer to ruling the earth than anybody has ever come and that's the Antichrist. And he'll come far closer than any mortal man has ever come to ruling the world but in the end he will merely ruin the world just like all the rest of them. He'll not rule. He'll not rule it. And he too will prove he's unworthy to possess the title deed of the earth to rule over it all. But thank God there is one who is worthy to take the book and to open its seals. And we'll discover him in a minute. But we see the demands of this search. Notice secondly the distance of this search. The Bible says, And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. This was hard to, uh, to alliterate, by the way. I almost didn't, but the Lord gave liberty, thank God. But the distance, the distance of this earth, a search is made throughout the universe for one man, for one man who is worthy. In Abraham's time, Abraham was told to go into the place of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he was told to find... 
20 men worthy, I think it started. 50 men worthy. And then he was told to find 20. Then he was told to find five, and no man was found worthy in that place. Is that not a type? It is. It is. But, but, but here we are. And, uh, and one person, uh, the universe is searched. Uh, they searched heaven above. They searched hell beneath. Uh, and they searched the earth in between it. Uh, and they could not find one person worthy. Uh, now, if we could look back and think about some things. Uh, if they searched heaven, that means they found Moses. Uh, that means they found Abraham. Uh, that means they found Paul. Uh, they found David. Uh, they found all of those people. Uh, and they were not worthy to open the book and they found Gabriel they found Michael they found all the angelic creatures that were created to worship God and not one of them were found worthy to open the book and they went down to hell and they found the billionaires they found the millionaires I'm not saying that it is by the way that that makes you go to hell because it surely doesn't but they found all those and not one man was worthy they looked on the earth they couldn't find no king they couldn't find no president they couldn't find no ruler uh, and that was good enough and worthy enough uh, to open the book. No politician, no scientist, uh, not one person, not even Satan himself uh, was worthy to open the book. Uh, and I tell you, friend, they searched a great distance, uh, but no man was found uh, worthy to open the book uh, that rested upon the whole universe. The distance, it was far and wide. But no man was worthy. Thirdly, there is the decision of this search. Verse 4, and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. When the results of the search are made public and everybody knows in heaven right at that point uh, something happens in heaven uh, contrary to all uh, the teaching of no tears. Jesus hasn't wiped them away yet. Uh, but John burst into tears. Uh, and as I've already said, he was in the he didn't experience the rapture. He was in the spirit. Uh, but John is a representative of our church here. Uh, he's a representative of the saved individuals. Uh, but John has also not been wholly transformed about those things when we are there we will be wholly transformed to the image of Christ two different words used for weeping in the New Testament one is used in John chapter 11 verse 35 where Jesus says or where the Bible says Jesus wept He's sitting there at this time and, and that word refers to silent weeping uh, and he's sitting there and Jesus stood there at the tomb of his friend uh, and he wept inside of silence. Uh, and just imagine the weeping that comes from Christ. He stands there weeping in silence and, and the other word is used when Jesus uh, looked over Jerusalem uh, and he looked over Jerusalem and the Bible says uh, and that Jesus wept uh, over Jerusalem. Uh, he cried over Jerusalem uh, because his people were turning away from him. Uh, and that word there, that Greek term word, uh, not, does not mean silent, but it means uncontrollable weeping. A burst, sobbing. And friend, it is the crying of that. You think about it, it's the crying of a small child uh, who does, has his little heart broken because mommy ain't holding him uh, or whatever it may be. That's just how our child is. Uh, but it's, uh, it's the kind of weeping uh, that you see when somebody loses a loved one unexpectedly uh, and those things come and, it, and it's, it's open and it's, I don't care who uh, sees me crying. It's an ugly cry. 
It's the same word used in John's weeping in this verse. I looked, it's the same word. It's the same exact word. And it means uncontrollably sobbing. And John is in heaven, he's weeping out loud. Why? Because no one is worthy to open the book. I'm done preaching. If I were done there, that'd be terrible. But the Bible's not done there. The Bible's not done there. John knows what the book represents. John knows, and he knows that if no one can open this book, uh, creation is doomed uh, to feel the effects of sin uh, for eternity. There is no millennial reign. There is none of those things. If nobody can open this book. And John's tears represent the tears of all of humanity since man fell in Eden. John is crying for us all. He's crying for us all. There's the book sealed. It's a burdensome search. Then I want you to notice, lastly, and I'm done, it gets better. See, in verses 5 through verse 7, there is a beaten Savior. There's the beaten Savior. So as my title stated, who is worthy to open the book? No one just yet. John is weeping, but one of the elders come to John in chapter 5, and one of the elders saith unto him, He weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, hallelujah, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And so the elder comes to John, and he gives him some encouraging news. He tells John to wipe his eyes, to stop his crying, because while no mere man is worthy, to open the book. Uh, uh, there is one who is. Uh, and he says, Behold, looky, looky. Uh, and there is one. Uh, and let's see. I want to examine the worthy one together. Uh, um, notice the words, Weep not, behold. Man, that's a contrast, but regardless of the problem, uh, I tell you, regardless of your problem, Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the answer uh, and weep not look to him uh, and he'll meet your need what a savior friend the book is all about him it's all about him notice three things with me I'm done I want you to notice number one uh, there's a conquering lion the Bible says the Bible says and one of the elders said unto me weep not behold the lion of Judah the line of Judah. And the elder tells John that the line of the tribe of Judah and the root of David hath prevailed. And when, it, when, when John hears the title, Lion of the tribe of Judah, I'm sure he immediately understands what he's talking about. He immediately thinks his mind back to the elder is referring to the Messiah. We've got to understand, um, they had the Tanakh, they had the Old Testament, um, they had all those things. And in Genesis chapter 49, uh, Jacob is laying on his deathbed, uh, and he looks at Judah, and he says, uh, he is a lion's whelp. And he goes through all those things, uh, and he says, from him that the settler shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. Yes. 
Hallelujah. Shiloh's Jesus. Uh, and until Shiloh come, uh, the scepter will not, will not depart from him. Uh, and we know about that. I ain't got to preach it. Uh, but we tracked it all the way up through Judah's lineage uh, and all the way to Christ Jesus. Uh, and came, uh, came the Messiah of the whole universe. Uh, and the scepter did not depart. Uh, that means the ruling did not depart from him uh, all the way through David. Uh, and all the way up to Jesus came the Messiah. Amen, friend. Uh, On the dying bed uh, of Jacob, the Jews are promised that a great ruler will arise out of Judah. And like a lion, he'll be powerful. He'll be strong. Uh, He'll be brave, majestic, uh, the leader of all. He'll be a mighty conqueror. The Jews were looking for a Messiah who would come in uh, and take off the yoke of their oppressors uh, and they would come in and give liberty to them. Uh, and they were looking for a, mili- uh, a militant leader uh, and they were looking for one to give them victory over all their enemies. Uh, everybody that come against the Jews, uh, um, Jesus would come in uh, and swoop in and re- relieve them all uh, of all of their fighting and their wars. Uh, and this person is also called uh, the Root of David. The root of David, and this title reflects both the humanity, it reflects the deity of Christ as well. Uh, and I tell you, uh, he, he would raise up, uh, um, the, uh, as you look throughout Scripture, and I, I'm just kind of, this is all Scripture here, uh, you raise, he would raise up, Jeremiah tells us uh, that he would raise up through the root of David, uh, he would raise up a withered branch, uh, and through that withered branch uh, of the line of David and bring it to power once again, uh, and it would be prominent and leader uh, and all that, and that is the human side of the Messiah he is a leader it shows his humanity but the Messiah was the root out of which David sprang so so, so he was a king and he was the king of kings right Amen, friend. When Jesus came to this world claiming to be a Messiah he did not fulfill the expectations of the Jewish people I mean, instead of delivering the Jews from their bondage in a great militant victory uh, uh, and establishing His kingdom on this earth uh, uh, like could have happened, uh, but instead of doing those things, Jesus went around healing. uh, He went around preaching. uh, He went around performing miracles and teaching. uh, And as a result, the Jews rejected Him uh, and their Messiah and crucified the line of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. When John hears of Jesus in heaven, uh, he is described as a mighty lion. Uh, He's described as the root of David. uh, And he's described as the king. Uh, He's described as the king of kings. Uh, And John is told that the lion, uh, the root of David, hath prevailed. Conquered. Okay? He's described him as a conquering lion. And then, but John looks and he says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. John was looking for a lion. He was looking for a conquering lion. But when he looked, he saw a crucified lamb. He saw a crucified lamb. When John turns around to see this mighty conquering lion, uh, he sees nothing but a lamb as it had been slain. You know what that tells me? 
still there, friend. Still there. Amen. The word lamb means a little lamb. Mary did have a little lamb, by the way. I believe that's scriptural. I don't know if she went to school, but... It's, I mean, it's scriptural. I mean, I, I tell you, she did have a little lamb. In the Old Testament, Jesus is referred to as the lamb only two times. Jeremiah chapter 11, I think it is verse number 19. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 7. Jesus is described or referred to as the lamb. The Gospels, Jesus is described two times as a lamb. He's describing John's Gospel chapter 1. Verse 29, where John John the Baptist looks and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Verse number 36 of chapter 1, he's described as the Lamb there again. In the book of Acts, in chapter 8, and verse 32, Paul describes him, or Luke rather, describes him as a Lamb. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 19, he's described as a Lamb. As a Lamb. And it tells us that he's a precious lamb. He's precious. Peter always has precious. But in the book of Revelation alone, so, so he's referred to six times in the Bible outside of Revelation. But in the book of the Revelation, he's described 27 times as the lamb. He's not, he's not, he's not displaying lamb likeness. He's displaying line likeness, right? But he's a lamb. Friend, I'm telling you, it's good. It's good. You ought to get in here. When John looked, he expected to see a great and powerful lion. What he saw instead was a little lamb. That doesn't sound right. And of course, of course, uh, as we can look and think about this, uh, of things, this scene is wrapped up in a lot of Jewish symbolism. Now you think about those things and we got to get this to go on. I'm trying to hurry with this image of the little lamb. I'm reminded of the Passover lamb. In Exodus chapter number 12, there's a Passover lamb and the people of Israel are instructed to select a perfect lamb and one without blemish, one without spot. That's what 1 Peter 1.19 says, by the way. Without blemish, without spot. And they were to take that lamb into their home. They were to nourish that lamb and they were to care for that lamb for seven days. And they were to come close to that lamb, grow with that lamb. And as that lamb during that time, you know what happened? I'm sure they became close to it. I'm sure they became close to that lamb. And and they were to take the lamb on this prescribed day and they were to kill that lamb and they were to go and they were to roast this little body and they were to eat it, eat, eat that lamb. And when the people did this, they were to put the blood on the doorpost. Just like the cross. Amen. And when the people did, they, they were promised they were going to be spared from the death angel, Jesus, when he come through. We sing the song, I will pass, I will pass over thee. When I see the blood. And, and don't, don't you know, I mean, you just think about it. They, they would, they, the Egyptians would be saved from the judgment of God if they had the blood applied to the doorpost. Uh, there's a lot in that, but I'm not going to get into it. But don't you know that it probably broke that family's heart when they had to kill that little lamb? Now let's really think about this. Here it is. This little dead lamb. In this little dead lamb, the Israelites were given a powerful picture 
of what the Lord was going to do someday through the Redeemer he was going to send to this world. What was going to take place later on and and just as that family would have to kill that lamb and God, God was going to send His only beloved Son and He was going to hang Him on a cross of Calvary and friend, just as that family would kill their lamb God would judge His darling Son on the cross of Calvary and friend, on how, how it must have broken the Father's heart. I believe it did. I know it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It's just because he loved you. Amen. But people would reject him. They hated him. They hated him and they crucified him on a a Roman cross. And how it must have broke the father's heart to judge his son in place of the sinners. Man, that breaks my heart to think about. And some of you, I mean, some of y'all just don't seem like it is. But I'm telling you, he laid your sin on him. I stay here all night. Friend, I tell you... It was on the cross that heaven won the greatest victory of all time. They were looking for a lion that would win a different kind of victory. But friend, the ones that are looking to him now are looking for victory over sin and victory over death and victory over hell and all of those things. And heaven won the greatest victory. We're told that the lion, the lamb, has prevailed. The word prevailed means to carry off the victory. And just because Jesus is a lamb does not mean that he's weak. Jesus carried off the victory at every possible turn in life. We can look throughout all of Scripture and find that he carried the victory away. We can look at Matthew chapter 4. He's carried off the victory at the Mount of Temptation. And we can look there in Matthew 26 there where he carried off the victory in the Garden of Gethsemane. Satan thought that he would fail there. Satan thought he would fail in Matthew 4 when he was tempting him. And Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And he carried off the victory in John chapter 19 in verse number 30 Satan thought that he was nothing but a fool but he said it is finished and then we go to the grave and we look in the grave and he carried off the victory when he rose from the grave the angel of the Lord that was sitting there said he is not here for he is risen and friend I tell you Satan thought that Jesus was finished but some Satan thought he had defeated Jesus when Jesus died on the cross and I bet you hell must have had a celebration as the broken bleeding body of Jesus was removed from the cross and put in the tomb and for three days the demons and the devils of hell must have shouted in glee and happiness and they celebrated what they thought was Satan's victory over the Lord Jesus Christ and they don't know it all friend but when anybody with me tonight. But when Jesus when Jesus went to that place and in the cross God displayed more power and glory than he did in all of creation. Amen. Amen. When Jesus cried it is finished it was far greater achievement than when he said let there be. 
Amen, friend. By the way, Jesus didn't cry, I am finished. And we've said that many times. But Jesus called the Lamb 27 times in the book of Revelation. And Satan, the Lamb's enemy, is described as a great red dragon in Revelation 12. And Satan's power is described as massive. And he masses a great army, a huge army, and a great demonic army. And all, all intend on defeating God. But heaven's response to this display of all this power is to send a little lamb. Friend, I thank God. When a nation chooses a symbol, they usually choose an animal that suggests power and authority. We have the eagle. The lion is a symbol of Great Britain. The bear is a symbol of Russia. So on and so on. When heaven looks for a symbol, it chooses a slain lamb. A symbol of meekness, submission, gentleness. Friend, I tell you, a little lamb won the victory. And because of that, he's worthy to take the book. Amen, friend. By the way, this lamb is in heaven. He's not in a dirty manger. He's not on the dusty streets in Galilee. Amen, friend. He's not on a ship in a storm. He's not even walking on water anymore. By the way, everything that bothers you is always under his feet. Amen. He was, on, he was standing on the water. He wasn't in the water. He wasn't across the water. And, uh, he's, he's not sitting wearied on, um, on a whale. He's not, he's not hanging in shame and agony on a cross. He's not laying dead in a tomb. He's where he deserves to be. He's on the throne. Amen. He's in heaven. He's glorified. He's exalted. Uh, and the Lamb has been there all alone. Uh, and this Lamb has been in the middle of the action all alone. John, John had seen, had not seen him until now, but he had been there the whole time. Yeah. Hallelujah. Man, I got more notes, but I'm just telling you. The Lamb was there, and he was slain. He still bore the marks. We see the marks of his suffering in heaven. Jesus will bear the wounds of the cross. I don't know what for, but I would say maybe as a constant reminder of what he did for us. Amen. We'll see his love on permanent display every time we see him. Amen. The Lamb was standing. He's standing in the midst, by the way. It's amazing. He's all wise. He's all knowing. He's omniscient. Nothing escapes his gaze, friend. All right. We see a conquering lamb, lion. We see a crucified lamb. We see a completing Lord. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. The Lamb takes the book out of the hand of God. And hallelujah, he took the book. Knowing what the book is now, we know that this means that the Gentiles have lost all hopeful power. It means that the Jews have lost and uh, completely been completed or destroyed with their idolatry and their apostasy. We understand that it's over religious and secular Babylon. 
defeated because he took the book. We understand that Satan is completed because he took the book. Amen, friend. If he would not have took the book, he would have been all over for us. But he took the book. Hallelujah. And when he does, heaven breaks out in praise. And heaven knows that Jesus is about to do the work of the line and deliver the earth and deliver all of the creation from the bondage of Satan and from the mess of sin. And he is about to complete his redemption work. At this point, we've been redeemed. You know, I haven't fully been redeemed yet. I'm not glorified. Right? When I get to heaven, I'll be glorification. I'll be redeemed. We're servants. Amen. He's our master. We're servants. The servant was redeemed. The wife, guess what? When the bride walks through the pearly gates of heaven, the wife will be redeemed. Amen. And the wife, the bride of Christ, will be redeemed. But the land has not yet to be redeemed. And when Jesus comes and opens these seals in the next few chapters, what he is doing is he is beginning to establish the redemption work of all of the earth. When he comes to this place and he opens these seals and he takes that book and he opens those seals, he is beginning the redemptive work of redeeming the whole world. Amen, friend. Amen. The Lamb is worthy to take take the book and open the seals. And if this scroll really is the title deed to planet Earth, why does he have to open it? I'm done, okay? I'm done. Could you come play for a second? I'm done. Why does he have to open it? Here's, here's, Here's the thing. There's three reasons I'm going to give you tonight. On why he has the right to open these, these, this book, okay? I'm done. I'm closing my Bible so I don't see any more notes. There's three things. It's his right to open it simply by creation. He made it. Amen? It's his right to open the book, the deeds of all of the earth. Because he made it. It's his right. It's His right by creation. It's His right. The world is His right by creation. The world is His right by Calvary because He paid for it. Amen, friend. The world is His right by conquest because He will retake it one day. Amen, friend. One day in heaven, uh, the Lamb will take the seven-sealed scroll out of the hand of the Father. And when He does, uh, it will be signaling uh, the beginning of the end for sin uh, and for Satan uh, and for all of the damnation upon this world. Uh, And on that day, Jesus will receive glory. He will receive all power. He will receive everything. uh, Always. There will not be another stumbling block in the walk of God. There will not be another stumbling block in the walk for the saints of God. Because on this day, when that man takes the book and opens those seals, everything will be demolished.
finished. One fourth of the earth will be completed. And then we'll go on and we'll find that the ocean will be turned red in blood. And the fishes and so many things will be destroyed. And friend, I want to plead with you tonight. If you're lost in this place, you better get right. Because you might be that one. And I'm telling you tonight, you need to hear me when I say this. This isn't in my notes. But God's telling me to plead with a sinner. Stand your feet, please. And God's telling me to plead. And I tell you tonight is that when this day comes, Jesus will carry off the victory. And hell will have lost its sting. Death will has lost its grave. And friend, I tell you, when we come to this part, Jesus will be the winner. The winner of it all. And those who know Him as their Savior tonight are winners. Winners. We have the victory through Jesus Christ. And friend, I tell you, when Jesus stands and He takes this book and He opens it up, we will be standing right there. We'll be standing right there. And you'll remember back and say, I remember that preacher talking about that. I remember that preacher telling me about that. And friend, we will open that book. And He'll open that book in that place. And on that day, we'll begin the judgment of the nations. You hear me tonight? It will be a lamb on that day. If you need to just thank him tonight, he'll be a lamb on that day. He'll be conquering. He'll conquer your sins to save your soul. I'm glad I know the lamb. Because I do, I'll never have to face the lion. Hear me tonight. Are you saved? I'm pleading with you with all of my heart. Are you saved? Are you saved? I read a quote, the Bible, I mean, I read a quote. This man wrote it, said, When Calvary's blood made atonement for sin, God was worthy of praise. Anybody ever heard that song? When God's, oh, Calvary's blood made atonement for sin. God was worthy when the tomb was empty uh, and death could not win. God was worthy of praise. uh, And I will honor my Redeemer forever and I'll proclaim, God is worthy of our praise. And He was the only one worthy to open the book. Man. Who is worthy? worthy to open the book. If you need to pray, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, grace, and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for being the line of the tribe of Judah. Thank you, Lord, for being the lamb. Lord, that went to, that stood before the shearers dumb. Lord, you openeth not your mouth. You did that for your good and our good, Lord. Lord, I thank you for dying for me. Lord, I thank you for your precious word that we can look into tonight and understand clearly. Thank you, Lord, for your redemption process with me. Lord, I thank you, God, for the redemption process for all these people. 
Lord, for sending your son to die for us, Lord. We're unworthy. We're undeserving. Thank you, Lord. I ask you, dear God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, to take these words, let us hide them in our heart, Lord, that we'll live by them, Lord, that we'll look forward to them, Lord, long for them, Lord, that we can look to you and say thank you for being the Lamb of God. Lord, not only the Lamb of God, but the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Thank you, Lord, for taking my sins away, for casting them as far as the east is from the west and farther, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for the privilege to preach tonight. Help these people. If anyone is here lost, Lord, under the sound of my voice, I pray you deal with their hearts, Lord, give them a restless night. I love you in Jesus' name.